Welcome to a special Advent edition of Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. time for Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word series on Mondays. It's the Advent season, so we're doing a special series for this year. Welcome back to the microphone. Good morning. It's good to be here. We jumped in last week with a discussion of what's called the lectionary of Advent, and we're taking a deep dive into something that is a tradition for American Christianity going back to long before the Revolution. Mm-hmm. It is what the Anglican Church gave to North America at the very beginning. So when you think about what the original founding fathers were dealing with spiritually in this nation back then, they started with the expectation that this was the way to approach the Word of God, to read through it periodically. They would have understood this electionary for Advent. So we're kind of digging into American history as well as doing something new for Compassion Radio. Right. I like how the lectionary gathers thematically Scripture throughout the Bible, from the Old the New Testament, the Psalms, they use the epistles, they use the gospels. It all takes from different aspects of the story and combines them. And over a three-year period, the entire lectionary would give you a good read over the entire Bible, right. including going through all four Gospels. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a great tradition, and it's something that's kind of being reawakened, I think, in many denominations now, to follow that lectionary for the purpose of knowing the Word of God better. Now, we're not identifying with a specific theological viewpoint, but to follow in the footsteps of our forefathers. Mm-hmm. So that's what Advent is, is celebrating a tradition that helps us to refocus, recalibrate, to focus on who is coming to save us. In our home over the last few years, we've decided that we wanted to celebrate Advent. We've brought attention to that through Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word every year. We typically like to light the candle to celebrate that week. Last week, we celebrated the candle of hope, realizing in our own lives that we need to sit with hope and understand hope. And hope for hope in some ways. Sometimes it's hard to hope for it. It's true. And we're also honoring those who led the way into that hope, that expectation that God would come to us. So we honor the prophets. We honor the psalmists, the people that told us the story in advance through all the symbols of the Messiah and gave very specific predictions about when, where, and how, but not like a calendar. You would see the signs of the times, and when these things happened, this could be expected. And that's why we have an expectancy for God to show up in history, not Mm -hmm. just as an idea or as a metaphor, but as a person. Mm -hmm. So first week was hope. This week, I think it's incredibly apropos, is the candle of peace. Mm -hmm. We celebrate the candle of peace, knowing that the Prince of Peace has come into the world to bring us the inner peace that we may not be experiencing. It's also known as the Bethlehem candle in some traditions. As well, that is very appropriate this year for us to focus on because of all of the things that are happening in the Holy Land, in the Middle East right now. There is not peace among men there. Bethlehem is not in the center of the conflict right now, but Bethlehem has traditionally been the city that has celebrated Christmas hugely this time of year because it is the birthplace of our Savior. And this year, it looks different for them. They are celebrating their hope for peace. 
And celebrate is almost an odd word to use this year, especially because if Bethlehem is the epicenter of Christianity at this time of year, because it marks what we would see as the beginning of the Emmanuel chapter in the story of Jesus, Mm -hmm. that he actually came to be with us. There's no peace in Bethlehem, and we all know that. It's not that it's in Gaza, because if you know anything about the geography of Israel and the territories around it, Bethlehem is literally a seven-mile walk uphill into Jerusalem. You could do it in a couple hours, if there was not a wall on the way. And back in the day when I visited there, back in 1983, we were able to, and we did, walk a majority of that distance between Bethlehem itself and the city of David, which is the lower part of the tiers that lead up to the Temple Mount. We could see it from Bethlehem. So the story of Jesus came alive for me in realizing that the beginning and the ultimate chapter of that story were within eyeshot of each other. Mm-hmm. I got to see that with my own eyes. Pilgrims to the Holy Land today cannot because there's a 20 or 30 foot high wall that cuts right through the middle of Bethlehem, demarcating where they have claimed a protection zone for Israel and where they've put the outcasts on the other side of the wall of the occupied territories. And that's where the Bethlehem Cathedral sits. So where Jesus was born, you can no longer see the end of the story. You have to do a lot more work to get there. I feel like in some ways that's true today in general. We have to work harder to get closer to what this peaceful chapter in the story of Jesus is supposed to mean and work hard, fight hard to bring back peace where peace belongs. Mm. Well, today we're going to talk about the prophecy of Isaiah, the cry of Isaiah's heart, not just for the city of Jerusalem, although he speaks of that. It's for the whole region. It's for the whole land. He speaks of that, looking for peace and comfort. And I'm going to read Isaiah 41 through 11 from the Common English Bible. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert, make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level, and the rough terrain a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear, and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. A voice was saying, Call out! And another said, What should I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loyalty is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up and the flower withers when the Lord's breath blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass dries up and the flower withers, but our God's word will exist forever. Go up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here is the Lord God coming with strength, with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment before him. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. You know, when I read this and it talks about a triumphant God and he Mm. will come and show strength and be there as a God, but then he immediately turns a corner and says, like a shepherd, he will tend the flock and his gentleness, he will lift the lambs up and he will tend the nursing ewes. That does not sound 
to me like an angry warrior or fighting tyrant king. It's definitely not militant. Yeah. Uh, In the voice translation, it starts out with comfort. Comfort by people, says your God, with gentle words, tender and kind. Mm. Assure Jerusalem, this chosen city from long ago, that her battles are over. Right. The terror, the bloodshed, the horror of my punishing work is done. Mm. This place has paid for its guilt. Iniquity is pardoned. Its term of incarceration is complete. It has endured double the punishment it was due. I mean, I love that imagery. I also wonder when I read this, who is speaking to whom? You know, we've talked about this before is who's the voice? Often we assume that because we were taught a certain way or were preached a sermon that we understand exactly who was talking to who and what they were trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's not real clear here that these words comfort my people, says your God, is intended for us to hear. Although I think it does after something more important happens. I think this first call is literally the father calling to the son. Mm. That he's saying to his son, comfort my people, says your God. And so often in the Old Testament, it mentions the Messiah, the Son of Man, calling to his father or the father calling to the son and makes that relationship established. But their conversation, what they're deciding together, what their heart is, is the center of the story. Not even our response to it or our feelings about it. He's saying, do this thing because I love my people. So the story for me in Bethlehem starts with the father's love. Not the father's judgment, sending a son to intercede and try to cover us from being punished. The father himself starts this story by saying comfort. Mm. I think the follow-on for modern day is that if we really are in Christ, we really believe that the spirit of Christ can indwell us, that these words can now become ours Mm. because they were absolutely the words for and through Jesus. Jesus did these things. He comforted people. He announced the day of Jubilee. There's all kinds of mentions in the uh, Gospels about what Jesus kept saying about, I have come to liberate. He's saying, I identify with this scripture. Mm -hmm. Based on what you're saying, honey, I think that we get to be privy to a very intimate conversation between the Father and the Son here that happens several times in Scripture. I know when Jesus prays in the book of John 17 for his disciples and for us, really, he's praying as well. It's an intimate exchange between Father and Son. Mm -hmm. If I'm understanding how you're interpreting this, this is another instance of that. The Father and the Son are having this intimate conversation where the Father is saying, these people expect me to be angry and judgmental. Historically, it looks like that, that I'm this almost monster, mean God. I want you to give them the truth about me. I want you to tell them that I love them and that I want to comfort them. I'm gentle and humble in spirit, even as scripture tells us. So go and comfort them, show them by your presence, by our embodied presence, what I'm really like. Right. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry, these are all the kind of things we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time business hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. 
We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. Scripture tells us, So go and comfort them, show them by your presence, by our embodied presence, what I'm really like. Right. Those terms, terror, bloodshed, and horror of my punishing work, those are implied things about how people perceive God Mm. being holy in a world that is full of evil. Surely the bad things that have happened to us must have been God's desire for us. We go to those kind of conclusions. I don't think Isaiah is shying away from those feelings, those emotions, the things we believe about ourselves and about God when we start out. Mm -hmm. But I think he's not leaving it there. He's not saying, yeah, this is what God does. This is who he is. He's acknowledging, I think, our perception of evil, our perception of hurt. Where is God when it hurts? The deep questions of what happens and why it happened in the first place when things do not go justly or right in this world. Mm -hmm. I would think that most, if not all, of Christianity around the world should be dwelling deeply on this thought right now in this Christmas season. Yeah, yeah. Now we shift to, in verse 3, another character in this little pageant. (laughs) Here's a voice offstage calling from the, the gallery back there saying, In the wilderness, get it ready, prepare the way. Who is this? Of course this is John the Baptist. I mean, the whole thing is playing out exactly like the Gospels say it did. And there was a man called John who was off in the wilderness baptizing who said, prepare the way of the Lord. He says as a historical statement that this scripture literally came true in their time. That's one of the reasons that I really love reading through the lectionary this way. The gospel scripture for this week, for this Sunday in Advent, is from the book of Mark. And it is the story of John the Baptist calling out, prepare the way of the Lord. He's bringing a different perspective of God, again, like Isaiah is. He's showing us the God of the universe is coming to us. He's a voice that is gentle and kind. I don't know if you've ever been yourself, honey, out in a desert far enough away from people, far enough away from any other sound. There's a couple of deserts in California that are like this, like Joshua Tree and Death Valley, Mm. where it is so fundamentally quiet that someone hollering from a far distance can actually be heard or perceived. It's not distinct, Mm -hmm. but you can actually hear it across a great distance. But you have to pay attention to it. For the beginning of it, it might sound like a whistle of the wind. It might sound like a moan of a distant thunderclap. You just sense it's there, but you don't really realize what it is until you start paying attention. Mm. And I feel like saying there's a voice crying in the wilderness is like that. It's not in your face like he's screaming out of the television at you at 110 decibels. There's somebody way out there saying, hey, prepare the way. This is John the Baptist's role. And I love that it's portrayed this way and actually acted out. Mm-hmm. It's not just that there will be a guy who says this thing. So in that new language of Aramaic and Greek, where the story picks up in the days of Jesus, let's read that next scripture. Mark 1, 1-8 The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son, happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. 
John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, One stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And there we get the prophets and then the evidence, the actual historical scene as documented by one of the four gospel writers. So we are talking about a historical figure in a real time, in a real place, in a real circumstance that we can relate to if we really spend time thinking about it. That's what I love about the way the story of Advent unfolds. These are historical things. And I wish we could spend more time just dwelling on that, mm-hmm. that this is a real story. It's a news. It's a memory of the church, of what it was like to actually meet the Messiah and all those who did in the first person. It's their celebration story together. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a TV show on for many years on TV. says How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. And apparently, the key figure in that, the mother never really even shows up because she's already passed away. She's gone. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the family has to go through all of the experiences and the flashbacks that go with remembering what it was like to be with the person you loved. I think the Gospels are kind of like that. They're mm-hmm. how I met our Savior. Let me tell you what it was like. Oh, that's a beautiful picture. We mentioned last week that we will be doing the first and the last readings of the lectionary. There are other scriptures that are in there as well. And all those links are available on the podcast page of our website. If you'd like to read more or read more of the scriptures that go with the focus of each week's Advent candle, they're available to you at CompassionRadio.com along with a replay of this broadcast. We'd love to have you share that with your friends, too, as you study and go deeper into the Word. Coming away from this, for me, honey, it reminds me that it's like a football being passed between generations. Like a day at the beach. The dad tosses the football off to his son, who maybe is too young to catch it, but he grows up and he begins to play the game with you and build memories over time. I feel like these scriptures are being tossed at us Mm -hmm. to catch, to remember that we are part of this family, this thing that goes all the way back to ancient times, and that the book, the journal this was written for our benefit. It wasn't written directly to American Christians in the 21st century, but Isaiah was speaking absolutely to his people who were in far lands. They were hoping to come back someday. They were isolated from where they felt like their home was. And he speaks of a new hope, a place where things will not just be put back right the way you thought you knew them, but something even better. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at the Advent, how could it be that Isaiah could look at that first Christmas and see it as so much better than where he was. When we know about the historical time, it was bloody. It was occupied. It was a foreign power with great lack of empathy lording it over the Jewish people that lived in the land at the time. Mm -hmm. They were outcasts in their own land. Yeah. That's where Jesus enters in, and Isaiah makes it sound like it's the golden age. (laughs) It is in the core part of our heart. If we realize how close God has come, we can face anything, no matter how difficult. Mm. Well, John talks about baptizing with water as a representation of cleansing. But then he says, the one who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes we get this picture of the Holy Spirit being Um, this fire that Mm. comes down on us and burns away all of the badness and brings the goodness to us. Purifies everything. Purifies us. But Jesus himself calls the Holy Spirit a comforter. And that, to me, harkens back to what you said earlier about how this is a conversation between the Father and the Son, and the Father is saying, comfort, comfort the people. 
Show them what it's like. Show them what our love is like, the deepest part of us, how we love, how we cherish, how we gently lead. And then when your time on earth is done, when you have shown all that you can show in bodily form, then we're going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be that comfort. And I know that many of us read scripture that is translated that the Holy Spirit convicts us of things. And yes, the Holy Spirit brings truth to light. But the Holy Spirit's job is comfort. And to lift up Jesus. And to lift up Jesus. Let me take one more turn then on that idea, honey. If the comforter and sending comfort is the first thing that the Father says in this story, who sings the first song of comfort? Well, if we use the scripture that we have in front of us, I would say it's the Father. The Father is speaking words of comfort. Move forward to the Gospels. Now it's being acted out. Where does the Spirit seem to show up first? Comfort is there to help Jesus step in to what he's going to do. And I think about how it's exemplified and expressed in the Gospels. The very first time we seem to see that the Spirit is singing comfort is through the words of Elizabeth and Mary and the Magnificat itself. She's singing the praise and honoring the Father and the Son. It's like the indwelling of the Spirit's begun in her because she's literally indwelled with the Savior in her womb. Mm. And something about that specialness, you can't deny that the presence of God was at work in that girl. And that's why she's so honored in so many Christian traditions at the highest level. God showed up within her and expressed and sang it. So as we enter into the Gospels, I feel like the Comforter itself is going to comfort Jesus into his role as a good mother, she's going to be the one that picks him up when the knees are scraped. She's going to be there when he cries, when he needs to be fed or changed. All those things that the son will need, the comforter is already there and is expressed in Mary. Mm. That's a beautiful picture. So, last thoughts then. How do we comfort now? If we're the ones being called to step into that role and to take up the mantle of Mary and the disciples and the early church to continue this legacy in our day, what does comfort look like? It seems to me that our deepest longings for comfort ourselves have to be met before we can extend it to others. Mm. If we don't have that indwelling sense of peace, that indwelling peace, not just a sense of peace, but actual peace, it's really hard to pass that on to others. The Holy Spirit has to be our first thought Mm. in that. We have to go there first. We can't just say, tut, tut, looks like you need help here. We have to be like the Holy Spirit in that we want to sit with others in their chaos, in their distress, in their sorrow, and to be comfort for them, to bring peace to their life. It may not be a lasting deep peace, but a moment of peace for someone is life-giving oftentimes, and it can help them on a trajectory of understanding peace better and feeling more comfort in their lives as they move forward. Sometimes when we're still in our mess and our chaos, it's hard to see if there's any hope, like we talked about last week. And if we don't begin to see a trickle, a flicker of hope, it's really hard to get to comfort and peace. So I think that as we look at our world and see the chaos, and see the trauma that is so prevalent around us, it's hard to think about peace. It's hard to believe in peace. God says, I am peace. 
I bring that to you, my peace, not the peace that the world tries to drum up and conjure on its own, but a deep abiding peace. And it can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Some of our cheapest substitutes, for sure. Right. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it off today, honey. I thank you for jumping into this one deep with me. Every one of these gospel and prophetic readings is a meal in itself. It's not like we have to move on to something more interesting. Every chapter is so interesting in this story. And we hope that the next few weeks will be the same for you as our listeners at Compassion Radio. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll be back with more hopefully powerful and life-changing stories for you as you hear what's happening in the kingdom of God around the world, even now, at a time where peace seems to be so far away. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.